Welcome to the Strong for Performance podcast, where we share wisdom and practical tips to help you grow stronger in all areas of your life. I'm your host, Meredith Bell. I interview experts who offer real-world experiences that you can apply to your own journey. If you enjoy my podcast, be sure to subscribe and rate it on your favorite podcast platform. Welcome to another episode of the Strong for Performance podcast. I'm your host, Meredith Bell, and I am committed to interviewing guests who will inspire and challenge you. And I can promise you my guest today is going to do just that. If you enjoy my show, please be sure to rate and review it on your favorite podcast platform. My podcast is brought to you by my company, Performance Support Systems. We publish software, tools, and books for improving the way people communicate with each other in the workplace. You can learn more at growstrongleaders.com. And today I am really thrilled to have as my guest, Brian Bogert. Brian, welcome to my show. Well, Brian, uh, before I do your formal introduction, I just want to say, so my listeners will know how I found you. I listened to Chris Doris' podcast, uh, Tough Talks, and he's my favorite host because he brings such intense curiosity to every interview that he does. And as I listened to you talk, I thought, oh, wow, I need to meet Brian and have him on my show. So I'm so glad to have you with me today. Let me give a bit of a formal introduction before we jump in and people will totally get why you are here today. Brian is a passionate human behavior and performance coach. He's also a speaker, business strategist, top sales professional, and philanthropic leader who believes in helping, and this is important, growth-minded individuals to achieve the best version of themselves. And that version is their most authentic selves. Brian teaches how to leverage radical authenticity and awareness to to create the intentional life you've been dreaming of, but may have been struggling to create in the past. He has a revolutionary strategy, and we're going to go deep into this. It's called Embrace Pain to Avoid Suffering. And this has helped individuals and companies break beyond their normal to achieve the success in life and business that they've always wanted. So if you want to create a life of no limits and gain more freedom, Brian and his team will get you there. And today we're going to give you a glimpse of how that happens. And one of the key things, of course, Brian, is your story, which starts at age, well, of course, it started before then, but this dramatic and traumatic event that happened to you at age seven, please tell my audience about that because it's so important to everything else that you do. I will. Um, So I'm going to ask you and your audience, unless they're driving, just close their eyes for one second. I'll tell you when to reopen them. I want you to imagine going to a store, having a successful shopping trip, walking out the doors, have a little pep in your step going on with your day, look up, feel the warmth of the sun on your skin, the wind blow through your hair. And as you get to your car, 
fumbling for your keys to unlock the doors, you turn your head and you see a truck barreling 40 miles an hour across the parking lot right at you with no time to react. Go ahead and open your eyes. That's where this portion of my story begins. My mom, my brother, and I went to our local Walmart to get a one-inch paintbrush. And as we were headed back to the car, anybody who spent more than two seconds with me knows the excitement and vigor for life I've always had. So of course I was the first one there. I wanted to get home and put that paintbrush to use. But this was back in the days before key fobs. So I had to wait for my mom to literally catch up, put the key in the door, turn it and go on with our day. And as we were standing there, a truck pulled up in front of the store. Driver and middle passenger get out and the passenger all the way to the right felt the truck moving backwards. So he did what any one of us would do, Meredith, scooted over to put his foot on the brake, but he instead hit the gas. Combination of shock and force threw him up on the steering wheel, up on the dashboard. And before you know it, he was catapulting across the parking lot, 40 miles an hour, right at us with no time to react. Now we were in an end spot. He went up and over the median, up and over the tree, hit our car, knocked me over, ran over me diagonally, tearing my spleen, leaving a tire track scar in my stomach and continuing on to completely sever my left arm from my body. So there I am laying on the parking lot on a 115 degree day in Phoenix, Arizona. My mom and brother watched the whole thing happen. They look up and they see my arm laying 10 feet away. Fortunately for me, my guardian angel also saw the whole thing happen. There was a nurse that walked out of the store right when this took place, and she saw the literal life and limb scenario, and I'm forever indebted to this woman for choosing to turn into action versus going on with her day. She came over and stopped the bleeding on the main wound and saved my life, and she instructed some innocent bystanders to run inside, grab a cooler, fill it with ice, and get my attached limb on ice within minutes to give me a fighting chance of having a reattached limb. So had she not done one or both of those, Meredith, I either wouldn't be here with you today, or I'd be here with you today with a cleaned up stump. Like, that's just the reality. And I know and I'm sure that the audience was not expecting it to go there today. <laughs> I, I realize I have an extremely unique story. But what I've also realized in all my time of doing this is that we all have unique stories. What's important is that we pause and become aware of the lessons we can extract from those stories and then become intentional with how do we apply them in our lives. And we all have the ability to do that. And we also all have the ability to tap into the collective wisdom of other people's stories to shorten our own curve to learning. So I'm going to share with you two primary lessons real fast, and then we'll jump into the rest of the interview. The first is I learned not to get stuck by what has happened to me, but instead get moved by what I can do with it. And the second is one you indicated in the intro. You see, it's seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12 years old, although I was the one having surgeries, although I was the one having all, this, all the therapy that I had to go through, I was also being guided through the process. So I was a little bit in a fog. My parents, however, were not in a fog. They were intimately aware of the unceasing medical treatments, years of therapy, and the idea of seeing their son grow up without the use of his left arm was a source of great potential suffering for them. So they willed themselves day in and day out to do what was necessary, to do what was tough, to embrace the pains required to ultimately strengthen and heal me. So whether intentional or not, what they did was they ingrained in me a philosophy and a way of living, which was to embrace pain, to avoid suffering. And I believe when this is done right, that's also when we gain freedom. So it's these concepts that we use to not only overcome this unique injury, how my business partners and I scaled our last business to over 15 million within the span of a decade. And now how we flipped that on its head as a human behavior and performance coach to be able to help individuals and organizations just like you, just like the people listening, become more aware, more intentional in who they already are. I believe that's when the door starts to crack to perspective, motivation, and direction. And that's when people can experience joy, freedom, and fulfillment holistically in their lives, which is why all of our entities are on a mission to impact a billion lives by 2045. Because if we can reduce the level of suffering on this planet, allow people to experience joy, freedom, and fulfillment, that means they have the opportunity to allow vulnerability and authenticity, which are the glue that binds human connection, back into the forefront, which means that they can stand on their own two feet, not only confident in who they are, but convicted in who they are, knowing the world won't just accept them, but will embrace them for who they are. I believe it's all these things that are going to make our world a better place for my kids and my grandkids. Wow. That is quite an opening. And... 
I, as I was listening to you describe, and I was familiar with your story because I had heard it before, but now I have a granddaughter who's almost seven. And so I can really relate in a very personal way to the idea of having that happen, how small a person that is to have that happen. And so before we move into today and what you're doing today, I want to kind of scale back to that time you spent. It's hard to imagine how many years that took you to be able to not just have your arm reattached, but the use of it and everything that went into restoring mm-hmm. it to health and use. Use. What are some of the key insights besides what you just described that you felt you learned personally as you were going through that? What kind of, because I can only imagine the imprint that yeah. made on you as yeah. you went through those various experiences, talk about what some of those were. So I am a big believer that it really gave me perspective in two key areas in life, both of which I think are very, very important for us to pause and pay attention to, which is perspective and pain. And I think I'm a practitioner in both. And so why I say that is, you know, at, at seven, I remember vividly having the accident happen to me and feeling sorry for myself feeling like a victim, feeling like, why me? Oh, poor me. Oh, sorry me. Okay. I was in a massive amount of pain physically, which also created a massive amount of emotional pain that I didn't understand and unpack until years later, frankly, because when I shut off physical pain, I also shut off emotional pain. Mm. And I didn't understand the impact of that long-term. But what I would tell you is perspective is what brought me back. Because when we're laying in that hospital bed, feeling sorry for myself, and we've got families in the ICU coming up to us saying, we're so sorry for what happened to you. We're so sorry. What can we do to help you? Right. And come to find out their kids laying in the hospital bed next to me with a terminal illness. And they're not sure their kid's going to live another 30 days. At that moment, I didn't know if I'd ever have my arm successfully reattached, nor if I knew if I'd ever be able to use it, which I have full functional use of today. But what I knew in that moment is I would have my life. And so that perspective pointed me at what's important. And so I often seek perspective in many things in life because I often say that pain and perspective both point us at what's important if we're paying attention. Mm. And so this whole concept of embracing pain even came from that same thing because pain can exist mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. And oh, by the way, I've experienced more pain in each one of those categories than I really can even put words to in a lot of cases. So that's made me a practitioner of pain and understanding that the only way that we can actually move through it is if we feel in order to heal. If we allow ourselves to process and allow the perspective to point us at what's important with our pain, then it can create a purpose big enough to overtake the pains required to become the person that we know we are capable of being and we know we are inside. So truthfully, some of the lessons that catered into embracing pain to avoid suffering, not getting stuck, but instead getting moved, right, is really this idea that we need to seek perspective wherever we possibly can, which is really about awareness, right? And then we need to be intentional with how do we move through things like pain, Because our undealt with pain will create more damage in our lives. Our dealt with pain can actually alleviate others of theirs. Mm, Both so powerful. Let's look first at perspective. And what do you recommend for people to be able to raise their level of awareness so they actually see more than they might be seeing right now? Yeah. So there's lots of tactical ways to approach this, but let's approach it more philosophically for a second. What we know is that our minds process 11 million bits of information per second, but we're only consciously aware of about 40. Mm. 
So it's not a surprise that so many people would feel like a victim or feel like life is fate or feel like they have no influence or control of their destinies. Because when we're truly operating with only 40 pieces of information with the 11 million, then it suggests we're living in the unconscious. So until we move ourselves systematically to allow ourselves to move the unconscious to the conscious, the unaware to the aware, it's going to feel like we're stuck. It's going to feel like we're a victim and like it's fate. So we have to start with awareness, which is why I love that you even asked that question. But that's a concept that people need to understand. We're largely unaware. And so we have to slow ourselves down enough to raise our level of awareness, both internally and externally. I always say we need to start inside. We need to raise our level of awareness with ourselves first. Everything begins and ends with you, truthfully. So there isn't a single concept, a single philosophy that we teach, nothing that doesn't relate it back to the individual, right? If we truly want to move forward, we've got to recognize ownership and autonomy in our lives with our ability to understand this. So awareness is how we do it. Now, I would say that we need to become aware mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. Now, I'm not going to tell everybody to do that right out of the gate, okay? So at the minimum, just become aware of what are the things that make you feel good in your life and what are the things that make you feel yucky? So make two lists. What are the things, people, source of information that you funnel through your life that one hour, right? Or sorry, that eight hours feels like one, that you're in flow state, right? That you feel fulfilled, that you feel energized, that you feel appreciated, that you feel worthy, that you feel excited to keep going. We know what those things are in our life, right? Pay attention to those things. On the counter list, what are the things, people, and sources of information coming to your world that make you feel defeated, that make you feel unworthy, that one hour feels like eight, that you're just depleted and it takes so much energy to get up? We both have... We all have things in both categories in our lives, yet too often we don't pay attention to what's over here and systematically remove it because we just feel like it's what has to happen in life. So start over here. That's one trick that everybody can use. The second is go to people in your life that you trust, right? Whether it's a mentor, a coach, a spouse, a kid, a partner in life, I don't care what category. If it's somebody that you know, like, and trust, go to them and be vulnerable and ask a few questions. Hey, what are some blind spots that you see in my world that I'm not aware of? What are some things that I contribute into the world or are unique about me that if you could take them and plug them into your own world, what would that be? If you could take one thing from the way that we interact or something that I contribute to this relationship that's not healthy or productive in your eyes and we could remove it, what would that be? Ask questions openly and honestly with those that you know, like, and trust. You'll get a lot more awareness than, than really we, we want to pay attention to in most cases. The thing about awareness, we have to be really careful because a lot of people become more aware. And as they become more aware, they just become more aware of all the ways they should be judging themselves versus recognizing how do I become aware of what I can do about the things that I'm now aware of moving forward so they don't recreate the same patterns in my life. Mm -hmm. And those what, are two tricks that we can start with to raise our perspective. Yeah. And, and what I'm thinking of as I'm listening to you is this taking ownership of yeah. my, my life and, um, you know, being somewhat of a victim. And, and of course, most people react negatively when they hear that term victim. Um, but one of the things I was thinking of, as you were describing, going to folks and asking them questions is, and this goes back to the ownership. If somebody says something that's a surprise in a negative way to you, that was a blind spot that you didn't know about, and you didn't realize that and and you're sort of in denial about it yep. um there's a tendency to want to defend justify explain um which then to me puts you more in that victim mindset of 100%. not taking responsibility for that so what are some i guess uh 
suggestions related to someone's attitude and mindset that that they need to adopt before they yeah, start so, asking so before they, before they go ask yes you're 100% right like if you're going to ask you need to be prepared for the answer good bad or indifferent like you just have to right so if you truly want to seek perspective recognize that you might hear stuff that you don't like and it's your job to try to not to react because you want to honor and create a safe space for the person that you're asking right so if we go back to the fundamental nature of human experience. It's rooted in four things, I believe. It's all, we all desire to feel safe. We all desire to feel protected. And those are not the same thing. We all desire to feel seen and understood. And we all desire to feel connected. What gets in the way of many of those things is our emotional triggers. So when you just talked about like, here's a reaction, there's a defensive that's rooted in a trigger, right? Emotional triggers are things that transport us back to things that aren't true or in the moment that cause us to feel that we have to operate in a certain way to move forward based on what just happened. So shame is a perfect example. Shame often shows up as defensiveness. So I'll give a perfect example in this case, right? And by the way, this wasn't me asking for the feedback, but it's an example of where a trigger can put us into a space. So it would happen, right? My wife would ask me a question. Hey, are you planning to spend some time with the kids this weekend? Right? Totally uncharged, totally neutral. But my old trigger based in shame and the anger that would represent as a result of it before I moved through it would cause me to get defensive, would cause me to react and create more damage. And what I would do in that case, because my filter was hearing it through not a neutral charge, but, oh, it's implying that I'm not a good husband and father. And that's one of my most important roles and things that I take seriously in my life. So is she implying that I'm not, right? That's how I'm hearing it. So I defend and all of a sudden list the next 10 things that I've done in the prior four days to demonstrate I'm a good husband and father instead of answering the question that she asked me, which was completely neutral and uncharged, right? And so when we look at emotional triggers, what we have to recognize is they can put us into states and traits that actually aren't realistic based on what's right in front of us. They can transport us to different periods in our life without us even being aware of it. So awareness, going back to the prior question, is one of the most important things we have to start with. But in this scenario, right, when we recognize that there's this case, emotional triggers are designed to be pulled. All triggers are designed to be pulled. So you can allow your emotional triggers to pull the trigger on you and cause you to react, which creates more damage. Because in that case, when I reacted, it makes her feel unsafe. It makes her feel the anger and the temper that come out of my voice that has nothing to do with the innocent question she's asking. Now, all of a sudden, she's triggered and we enter into this bad cycle. Right. Is it my fault that I had that issue? Is it her fault that she had that issue or my fault that she does with the triggers? Absolutely not. But is it my responsibility? Absolutely. Right. And so when I can recognize that I can allow my emotional trigger to pull me and react and create damage, or I can pull the trigger on my emotional triggers, move myself through the inside out method to better understand where I'm triggered, become aware of it, own it, unroot it and move through it. Then I'm in a position to respond based on the variables and, and what's actually in front of me versus my trigger deciding what my actions need to be. Mm-hmm. So it's the same thing when you ask for awareness, go in neutral, go in objective and non-judgmental, and be willing to receive what's there. Because here's the other thing you can filter whatever you hear just because you know, like, and trust them doesn't mean that that is accurate on your own view of yourself. Often it will be a relevant, accurate point in some directional accuracy, but it's not always going to be the absolute truth. So you can still filter that. So you don't need to react and create damage when you've actually asked that person to provide feedback to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, boy, there's so much <laughs> uh, packed into what you just said and truth, because I think that looking at how do we, uh, and people read things besides the words we say, you know, 100%. the expression on our face, 100%. there's so many ways that we, I think, need to take responsibility for the way we respond when someone is giving us information. I love that word neutral, because I think that it, it, um, 
it helps to keep us from responding to extremes on either end. Yeah. Um, and simply take it as information. That then Which, by the way, that evaluate. whole concept is a great philosophy on life. If we could all just look at the neutrality in things and recognize that we actually have a lot more in common than we have apart, we wouldn't have all the polarization, politicization, and hate that separates groups in general. But keep in mind, it's triggers that keep us separated because it's a conditioned belief on how we want to operate that puts us into a state based on something we hear that automatically assumes that the other party is just opposite. The problem yes. is we view things in black and white in this world. And the reality of it is that the gift is in the gray area, Meredith. So it is in the neutrality. Yeah, that's great. Well, let's talk also about this whole idea of pain versus suffering. Yeah. What's the distinction you make between those? Because it's a core element of really what you're teaching, the, the message you're trying to get out. Yeah, it is. It is in general. First, we need to recognize, and I love that you asked the question that way because we'll define it. But first, we have to recognize that the narrative of the world is to reduce, eliminate, or avoid pain. Like that's what we hear, which is a natural evolutionary response, right, to survival fight or flight. You cut your leg a hundred years ago, you could die, right? So we need to pay attention to the fact that we live in a different world and our fight or flight tendency doesn't need to kick in in the same ways that it used to. So if we understand pain and suffering, it helps us move through this. So pain's defined as short-term intermittent, a direct cause from something, and then alleviated once that direct cause is removed. And then we as human beings screw it up by putting adjectives in front of it, like we do with everything else. And we call it acute and chronic, right? Acute maintains the definition, but chronic inherently changes it because it implies it's no longer short-term and it persists after that direct cause is removed. So that's no longer pain. Let's stop calling it that. Instead, that's suffering. Now, we don't want to admit that suffering exists, particularly when it's a direct result of our choices. But we have to recognize that the unavoidable precursor to change is acceptance. So until we accept the current state of things, we cannot alter them. Suffering creeps up on us over time, often until its effects are irreversible, and we don't even notice that it's creeping up on us. So let's understand this, this concept because pain also gets a lot of attention because we feel it. It's real time. It's right in front of us. So that's what gets the attention. Whereas suffering, like I said, doesn't get a lot of attention because it creeps up on us. So we can embrace the pain of hitting the gym for 30 minutes a day to avoid the suffering of aches and pains of a sedentary lifestyle. We can embrace the pain of a difficult conversation with a loved one or spouse to avoid the suffering of being in a loveless marriage that's going to end in divorce or being stuck in a marriage when you actually need divorce. We can embrace the pain of the fit our kids are sure to throw by having them put down their mobile devices at the dinner table to avoid the suffering of years of lost meaningful connection and conversation that we'll never get back. As business owners, we can embrace the pain of firing our top salesperson who's contributing the most to top line growth to avoid the suffering of stagnant growth and losing all our other top talent because they were the greatest cancer in our culture. Right? This list goes on and it doesn't matter what category in life we look at. It's about really how do we acknowledge the suffering that we wish to avoid, identify the pains that are necessary for us or to embrace along our path to success, and then how do we establish this as a habit in everything? And so we have to understand this framework so that we can recognize that it's truly about recognizing it's not about putting ourselves into unnecessary amounts of pain just for the sake of pain. It's about identifying the ones between where we are today and where we want to be and viewing those as stepping stones in our path to success. You see, I believe that we all must choose our pain or our suffering will choose us. Wow. I love that. Choose our pain or the suffering will choose us. You know, as I'm listening to you describe it, it's like we get into um, suffering and we have trouble seeing it because it's become part of how we are. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a, it's a, it's not a pleasant state, but we're used to it. It's known. And mm -hmm. so what are some things that you might recommend to someone to understand that distinction between am I in pain right now or am I suffering? And I just didn't even realize it. 
Yeah. Um, I, I think it, it really does have to start with the understanding and definition of pain and suffering that we just unpacked. And I think it also starts with awareness that we've talked about. But when I said we need to acknowledge the suffering we wish to avoid and, and then learn to identify the pains that we tend to avoid and learn to embrace them, I'll give you those two examples real quick, because this is a framework to help people think through it. Okay. Um, you know, most people, when they think through goals, vision, planning, right, they set goals, right? Where do I want to go? And often most people do goal setting incorrectly because they protect themselves inherently in the way they set their goals. They set goals that they know they can hit, not ones that actually stretch who they are. But I think where people also fail is they only set goals on the positive side. We don't actually establish our bookends. We have to understand that life is about bookends, right? In the chapters that we write in our own lives, there's bookends. We have to know this, right? So when we set goals, we also need to understand what are we trying to avoid? And most people don't actually pay attention to that. So if we understand that there are two sides of the same coin, it becomes equally powerful now when we do both towards driving us where we want to go. So I have a 38-year-old client, moved 26 times in his first 18 years of life, lived with his mom, dad, aunt, grandma, never lived in the same place twice, never had the same set of friends twice, right? He truly was a nomad, never had the same consistency in his life. And whether he knows it or not, there's a deep amount of shame that was embedded by the fact that he also never believed that he was good enough to give or receive love. Fast forward to today, he's got a wife and two beautiful girls. He knows the man, husband, and father that he wants to become. He knows that everything he wants in his life surrounds them, but he also knows that because of the way that he's been conditioned, that he feels the resistance and the energy drain and the fact that he's not living the best version of himself and he's creating damage in his family. So when he can sit down and look at this vision of where he wants to go, he's got this really crisp image of his wife and him sitting on their ranch in Texas when they're 80 years old with the wind blowing through the brush and the only thing breaking the silence is the laughter of his kids and his grandkids in the distance. And when he takes that image and he burns it into his soul, right? The purpose becomes big enough, big enough to overtake the pain. But what you also have to recognize, he needs to know the suffering that he wishes to avoid. You see, suffering for him is definitively the life without his girls in it. And mm -hmm. he knows that if he stays on the path that he's on today, that suffering is almost guaranteed because it has crept up on him until the point that there's now pain that they're experiencing in their marriage. When that purpose is big enough to overtake the pains required to become the man, husband, and father that he already is, that he's capable of being, if he can shed the layers of all this pain that he's been carrying for years, then he also can become the man, husband, and father that they want and they deserve. Mm. Okay. So when you understand that yeah. we need to look at that other side, that's where the suffering comes in. The pains that we have to embrace, I'll give a personal example on this one, right? I have an imbalance in my body. I don't have a lat on the left side of my back. They took it for filler muscle. My, my, my tricep is gone. It was destroyed in the accident. My bicep is my gracilis from my leg. I have a curve in my spine and I had chronic pain that developed into suffering. It was starting to impact my quality of life. It was debilitating. This was 15 to 20 years ago. And I started to realize if I stayed lean, I stayed active, I kept my core strong, that I could mitigate the majority of the pain to just a manageable pain that I could embrace every day to make sure I could keep moving forward. So what did I do? When everybody wants to get healthy, I went and I joined a gym and I went consistently for 30 days. And then I stopped going. Now, that's where most people would stop, right? That's why so many people fail in what other efforts are with their health and all those different things. But what I learned is I had already identified the suffering because I was experiencing it. I knew that if I continued to get worse in pain over the progress of my life, that it would come to a point where it would be debilitating. I wouldn't be able to get out of bed at some point. So because I knew what that suffering looked like, it, it allowed me to push and ask a further question. You see, most people think they're stuck. They're not accomplishing what they want because the wrong strategy and tactics in their life. So I could have said, okay, this is a strategic, a strategic and tactical solution, which is what most people do. Well, I mean, I don't like that, Jim. Maybe I'll join Orange Theory. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll start writing. Maybe I'll do something else, right? I'll, I'll swap out the strategy and tactics and see if something works. But what I know definitively is what keeps us stuck is not strategy and tactics. That'll only get you so far anyway. It's a combination of emotional triggers, behavioral patterns, and environmental conditioning. 
So when I ask myself the question, it's, is it the pain of working out? Is it the pain of plyometrics? Is it the pain of stretching? Is it the pain of working, like lifting weights that I'm avoiding? Or is it the anxiety I get in a crowded gym? You see, it was an emotional trigger that was keeping me stuck. Mm. And once I realized that that wasn't my environment for success, it allowed me to shift my focus because it wasn't about embracing the pains of movement that I needed to take into account. It was about the environment. So I had to embrace the pains required to set up a home gym, the time, energy, and money to be able to create an environment that I could be successful in, knowing that I had to create that. I wanted to avoid that suffering. So when we all go to this process, it, it applies to every category in our lives. So we truly can look at both in business, relationships, health, spirituality, mental state, emotional status. Where are we? And are we where we want to be? Do we feel joy, freedom, and fulfillment where we are today? If you're not where you want to be, I can almost guarantee you that you have some element of suffering that's already developing, whether it's debilitating in your life or not. So going through the process of understanding that this is on you, but we have to go through that type of a framework to really think about where do we want to head? That's how we do it. Mm. Yeah, that's a great example. Your story about the gym is really interesting because you could have identified something else. You took the time to kind of peel back the layers to figure out it isn't the workouts I'm doing at the gym. It's the, the whole environment. And I think what, what you've brought up is something I'd really love people to think about because often we look at a particular area and say, oh, that's the problem. Mm-hmm. When if we take a little bit more time and dig a little bit deeper, we might uncover something else that's the real issue for us. Yeah. Does that that makes sense to you. You're 100% spot on. And that's exactly the message that we're saying. If you put in the work to understand the suffering ahead of time, it's going to cause you to recognize I need to ask more questions than just, oh, it's this, mm-hmm. right? So there was someone we were working with a couple months ago, business owner, really smart, very successful, right? Very amazing at outlining solutions to problems. She had no problem talking to business owners, had no problem asking the right questions to validate if and how she could help and no problem pitching what the solutions were. Her issue was, She got terrified every time she saw that 500 pound telephone sitting on her desk and was afraid to pick it up. So when we actually peeled back the layers of the onion, understood what suffering was for her, asked those additional questions, what we got to the root of is she's not afraid of picking up the telephone because I just told you all the things she's not afraid of. She's not afraid to have those conversations, right? Her real fear was she was afraid of what it would look like if she was actually really good at it because she'd handle the flow in her business. What could the capacity, would she be able to establish the resources? She was so good at what she did. She was limiting herself and didn't even realize it, but it was an emotional trigger that was based in scarcity and her inability to perform. It had nothing to do with the weight of the telephone in front of her. Mm-hmm. And how often do we just blame, oh, well, I'm not good at cold calling. Well, what is cold calling? It's about understanding and having conversations with new people, building relationships, outlining and understanding problems or uh, potential problems that are there, and then creating solutions that, to those problems for people and putting it in a way in a package that they can consume. That's all cold calling is. It's getting yourself an opportunity to do that. Yet so many people are like, oh God, it's a 500 pound telephone. I'm going to get rejection. Well, what are you afraid of? Is it actually those conversations or is it something rooted in rejection? Is it something rooted in shame? Is it something rooted in scarcity? We have to think through these things because if we don't, we're going to perpetually circle the same drain of life, repeating the same patterns. Mm -hmm. Well, I love this idea of thinking ahead to look at what what suffering can you alleviate in the yeah. future by, by being temporarily uncomfortable that's right. with, the, with the pain today. I think that's a really powerful. And also just that whole looking back at what, what is in fact holding me back yeah. from what it is I know I want and need to do. Well, one of the other things you talk about that's related to this is 
this whole thing of no limits. Yeah. You know, that's one of your core themes. When somebody visits your website, they'll see you even have, um, you know, T-shirts, materials around no limits. So talk about why you emphasize that and what do you mean by it? Yeah, I think so many people and myself included for a long time, right, are really just byproducts of the limits we place upon ourselves that are also combined with the limits that we place upon in the world. Right. And so when we recognize that we are truly limited by those two things and those two things alone, if we put in the right work to truly understand who we are, who we're doing this for, who we're trying to impact, we pay attention to shedding the layers of all the shoulds that the world has put on us and realign genuinely with who we are. No limits living is not that I can do anything. Right. I have a physical limitation. Okay. I'm not going to go be a professional athlete. Now, can I compete at a very high level in any sport because I can compete at a high level despite whatever physical perceived disability I have? Hell yeah, I can. Do I mountain bike? Do I road ride? Do I water ski? Of course I can. Despite the fact that how many people in my world told me that I could not do it. I got so used to getting jaws hit the floor when I was seven and eight, nine, 10 years old and was in a sling and people would ask me what was wrong with me. And I'd say, I was run over by a truck and my arm was torn off. And they would immediately look to my parents for validation because they didn't even believe me. They didn't believe my own story, right? And then immediately they view me through their lens of what they'd be capable of in my scenario. And I refuse to be confined by the boundaries and limits placed on me based on the world. So this concept of no limits living is if we truly put ourselves into a place, where we build ourselves in our life of self-regulation, of self-alignment. Of, of we understand who we are, who we're doing this for and who we're impacting, which I said a second ago. And we understand how do we move through and unpack the pains required so that we can feel in order to heal, become a complete whole version of who we are mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. We are capable of far more than we ever thought we were and certainly more than the world ever places on us. Mm. And so this idea of no limits living is I genuinely believe that we can have it all, right? Life isn't about work-life balance. Life is about integration. We've got one life. If you go to the effort of understanding the things that are most important to you, your health, your fitness, you know, your, your relationships, your family, your businesses, your philanthropic work, your physical activities, whatever the case may be, and you understand what those true things truly are important to you, not what the world has told you you should focus on, what you care about, then you can build your life, whether you're making $40,000 as a teacher, right? Living a life that is complete alignment because you've got your family, your structure, your education, everything's in alignment, or whether you're making $400,000 Again, you can have it all. It's not based on the external definitions of success or the external definitions of what success is based on a monetary gain, but what is a quality life for you? Where will you derive joy, freedom, and fulfillment from if you put in the work? That's what the No Limits Living is. No Limits Living is that I truly can live my life on my terms with the things that are most important to me, impacting the who's I care about and the who's I want to impact. That's what No Limits Living is. And we all have the ability to do that. That's great. I also remember you talking about another distinction, who versus what. Yeah, yeah. So how does that fit into what you just said? Yeah, so all of these concepts are overlapping, right? They're not independent philosophies. They're all things that are guiding principles in the way that we help people unpack, right? I, I, we are born as the most bright, burning, authentic light we'll ever be, right? Anybody who's had kids knows this, right? In the first seven years of life, they're just raw. They're real, right? And if you focus on the things that they do, they do the things that make their hearts happy. They do the things that fill their souls, that make them feel alive, right? And then parents, teachers, coaches, employers, we start saying, you should do this. You shouldn't do that. You should be this. You shouldn't be that. You should chase this amount of money. You shouldn't chase that amount of money. You should drive this car. You shouldn't drive that car. You should have this profession. You shouldn't have this profession, right? And should is a shame-based word because it automatically implies that whatever we're doing isn't good enough. 
And what it's doing is it's conditioning us to focus on the what's of the world, what house, what car, what amount of money, what amount of success, right? What country do I want to live in? What people do I want to be around? What belief systems do I have, right? And what we realize, and I did this myself, I chased the what. And guess what? I had it all. I caught all the what's I, ta- I, I aspired to in my life. And I woke up one day and I'm running around with people that are making multiple six figures, seven figures, eight figures in some cases. And so many of us were miserable. And what I realized is it's because I had lost who I was, right? All these layers that were put on top of me were also the armor that I was protecting my vulnerable self on the inside against the world telling me that I wasn't good enough because I didn't follow the shoulds, right? I changed who I was to try to represent more of what the world was because I chased the what. When I started to shed the layers of this armor, which I thought was protecting me, but was really crushing me incrementally over time because of the weight I continued to carry. When I started to shed those layers and get back to who I was, I realized that who is the, is the key. Because when we can focus on who we are and we really align ourselves with that, what are our unique gifts? How do we see the world? How do we enter into it? Who are we impacting as a result of it? Then all the what's in our world become a manifestation of the who. You get to move faster with less effort. And so I would like to shut down the era of what and usher in the era of who. It's connected to the same idea of profits and people, right? It's who before what? People before profits. At some point, we lost the idea that people are what generates our profits, and we started to put profits first. We started to realize that who is what creates what, but we put what first. Let's shut down people and what. Not that they're not important, because we have to focus on them. They are. It's not who, not what. It's not people, not profits. It's who and people before what and profits. That's the concept, because if we actually realign ourselves to the human experience, what we all have in common, that's where we start to become free. Mm -hmm. So the who is is so important. I agree with you. And as you think about, because another one of your key words is authentic, right? Be your authentic self. So what would you recommend someone do if they want to try to discover, am I really being my authentic self? What should they look at or look for to help determine where they are on that continuum of not being authentic to very authentic? Yep, absolutely. Um, So I want to start by just helping people understand, like when we say radical authenticity and authentic, right? They're they're buzzwords. Okay. So I want to be really clear. Like I, I, I don't view it probably the same way as the outside world. And so radical authenticity and being authentic does not mean an unfiltered version of you. That does not mean like just because it's a thought or a feeling that it just expresses into the world, right? Because a lot of those things can create damage. And so if we go back to the list that I had you create earlier, that's one of the greatest places to start for answering this question as well. So if you didn't listen to that section earlier, just rewind back and listen to it. Create the two lists that we outlined earlier. That's a great place to start because the things that bring you joy, the things that bring you energy, the things that make you feel worthy, excited to get you into flow state that's a pretty good indication that those are more in alignment with who your authentic self is. The stuff on the negative list are things that you feel yucky, you feel unworthy, you feel depleted because they aren't in alignment with who you authentically are. And so pay attention to those things because again, perspective and pain, both of those things are real. Perspective is what am I experiencing? Am I experiencing uplifting things or am I experiencing things that are coming down? And oh, by the way, the stuff on the negative side, it's pain. It sucks because it's painful. It's pointing you at what's important because it's not supposed to fit in your life. It's not, it, it's your self-regulation. If your life was in alignment, would say these things don't fit. Mm-hmm. So focus on the positive sides of those lists. What brings you alive? What makes your heart happy? What makes you feel energized? What makes you feel like you want to connect with more people? Those are the things that are your authentic self. Well, you know, we could talk, for, I'm sure for hours, Brian, I'd want to ask a final question because I know a lot of my listeners are parents just like mm-hmm. you are. 
Yeah. And so what, what advice suggestions would you give to parents who are eager to create an environment where they help their kids evolve into yeah. radical, authentic selves? Yeah. Um, I'm going to give a couple of uh, recommendations, but I want to be really clear. This is not like advice or parenting advice, because I also say to this advice are like belly buttons. Everybody's got one. And so I do have a philosophy around this, but one of my biggest pet peeves is like with new parents where everybody gives them advice on how to be a good parent. When in reality, like if they just pay attention to their gut and paying attention to what they do and ask the people they know and trust when they have problems, they're going to navigate it just fine. Right. But we throw a bunch of advice. So I want to be really clear. This is not parent shaming. This is parent empowering. And I want to make sure that you hear it that way. Um, We are a big believers in our house in a couple of different things. Um, We believe in allowing our kids to recognize, understand, and communicate about what makes their heart happy. Truly. Like what makes their heart happy? So like my son, right? Like he likes to paint his toenails sometimes. And as he was getting older, right? He was starting to get feedback and criticism from people in the outside world, right? Well, he asked me, how come you don't paint your toenails? And I said, buddy, it's because it doesn't make my heart happy. Okay. At one point when he started to get really down about it, I painted my toenails so he could borrow some of my strength. And he could see that there is a strong individual and a male that he looks up to that's very comfortable and and, and okay with having it. Now, it's funny because I actually had never painted my toenails and it does make my heart happy. So I still paint my toenails to give him permission. But the point is, is like, I didn't know because I didn't have that perspective. So we focus on what makes our heart happy. We make sure that we try to be objective and non-judgmental in the way that we operate in the house and also outside of the house. Because if we love ourselves first, we have the capacity to love and protect others. And so if we pay attention to making our heart happy, that allows us to love ourselves, which allows us to love others. So these are things that we perpetuate in our house. Um, A tool, um, I'll give one more. My wife and I also live by example, meaning we are not perfect. We create damage. We create reactions and things with our kids. Damage is going to happen in every relationship as a parent and kid. It's all in the repair. So if I screw up or I raise my voice or I do something that I know created damage, it is very important that my kids understand that I am going to attempt to repair that and that they're going to see what repair looks like. Because again, those are pains that can separate our relationships. Or if we embrace the pains of actually owning what happened and we were triggered, we can actually repair and create a much better relationship in our household. Mm. One tool that I'll give, it's Mindset, the book by Carol Dweck. It's actually on that shelf right there behind me. Um, It talks about the fixed versus the growth mindset. Page 157, there's a section in there that's written towards parents, teachers, coaches, and it's to help you understand the language that our kids hear and how that can frame being fixed versus growth. And that's also where shame and other things can be perpetuated is if we communicate in a fixed type mindset. So I'll give just a quick example here so that you can understand. Um, You know, how often has our kid gotten an A in class and we as parents are like, oh my gosh, you're so smart. You're so amazing. We're so proud of how, how you got an A on that test. We're so proud of you. We go, we celebrate the A, right? And, and how smart they are, right? Well, guess what the kid hears? The kid hears, well, if I'm not smart or if I'm not smart or I don't work really hard or I don't get A's on these papers and they're not going to think that I'm smart, they're not going to recognize me for these things. And they attach love and admiration to the fact that they got an A and that they're smart, which is a trait that they can't necessarily model. Fixed is I'm born with everything in life that I've ever gotten. I'm, I'm, I have to use these tools. Growth is I'm born with a starting set and I can grow and develop through them. So change the language to a growth mindset. Man, you know what? I am so proud of you. Yeah, you got an A. Yeah, you did a great job on that test. 
And, and I want to celebrate you for that. But what I'm really proud of is the fact that I knew how difficult this was or how easy it was, regardless of the kid. But I know that you put your mind to it and you did what was necessary to prepare yourself for that test. You studied the material, you walked in there ready. And so that A was really a byproduct of the work that you put in. And we're just really proud of that work. But had you gotten a C, knowing that you tried as hard as you could, we would have been equally proud. Great. It detaches it from the outcome and it puts it on the process and allows it to be a growth Mm -hmm. mindset. So those are some philosophies that we have in our house, but a very effective book that has influenced the way we communicate with our kids. Yeah. I, I like the fact that you weren't giving specific strategies, you know, or tactics, but it's more a way of, it, it goes back to perspective, how you see and view your child and what your role as a parent and responsibilities are to help them emerge. Correct. You know, fully evolved. Thank you. Oh, Brian, this has been so fabulous. You have such a wealth of knowledge. And I know that many of my listeners are going to want to learn more about you. How can they connect with you and, you know, discover more about the services, products that you offer in case they'd like to contact you and take advantage of them? Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow me at Bogert Brian on any social channel. Um, go to brianbogert.com. It's our website where we've got a lot of resources there. Um, I did mention in the beginning that we want to impact a billion lives by 2045. So we're very aware that to do that, 99.9999999999% will never pay us a dollar. And we are very okay with that. So we create a lot of free content that's designed to genuinely empower and elevate everybody holistically. And you'll see if you consume that content that very rarely is there any call to action or ask or even email exchange in the process because we're just genuinely trying to add value. So I have a request for you, anybody who's listening, right? The only way we get to a billion is through collective impact. And so if you feel right, moved by anything that you see, something resonates, I'm talking not just you like it, but like it moves you. I'm just asking that you like, comment and share on any of the materials. And this isn't for vanity metrics. This is truly because the algorithms will perpetuate more eyeballs and more ears seeing and hearing the content. And so if you're moved, what I know is that moved people move people. I'm just asking you to help me move a lot of people so that we can have collective impact towards a billion and you're a part of the solution. One of the things that I also want to give you, if you go to No Limits Prelude, this is a click funnel. I'm giving you full disclosure because there's no tips or tricks or anything behind it. It's a way that we can get an email address to keep you as a part of our community. But if you go to nolimitsprelude.com, there's a succinct download of a lot of our coaching philosophies to ask some of the first questions to get yourself started. And if that's all you ever need, take it and run and just pass it on. If there's other ways that we can engage, just let us know. But whether you know exactly who you are, you have no idea who you are, or you're somewhere in between, all of these resources will be of value to you. And I'm sure that it'll help you on your path. That's great. Thank you, Brian. We will put all those links on the show notes page so that people can find you and grab that resource. Just say the name of that um, landing page one more time. Yep. It's no limits prelude. No limits prelude. Okay, great. Well, Brian, what a gift you are to me and to my listeners and to the world. I so admire this 1 billion goal that you have because what a difference it can make for those people who are really touched by your message and take action based on just that one distinction of pain versus suffering and choosing temporary pain over long-term suffering. Thank you so much for being with me today. And I will be helping to spread the word about the great work that you're doing. 
Well, thank you for creating a platform for us to pour good into the world. And you also are a gift and appreciate the opportunity to have this conversation and know that we're going to have some collective impact together over the years for sure. That's right. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to the Strong for Performance podcast. Now, head over to growstrongleaders.com slash free and grab our ebook, Listen Like a Pro. You'll find out how to connect on a deeper level with the people who matter to you. And while you're there, check out our two books, Connect with Your Team and Peer Coaching Made Simple. Until next time, I'm Meredith Bell.